We're going to continue this morning in a, a, a second week in a series um, called Being Invitational. And I talked to you last week about the, this is kind of a different series in that we're going to just take a look at some vignettes or some glimpses of Jesus' own life and ask the question about how it should inform us as followers of him, okay? And so we're going to um, look at that together. It's a little different because it's not necessarily explicit. I mean, it's in the, the teachings coming from the word, but it's more like what's happening than what's said sometimes that's making a difference. So I want to look at Jesus' own life and see um, how he led and how he followed God himself and therefore how he calls us to follow God as well. We're going to do what we always do. We're going to uh, pray together. We do this not, not just because we're in church and it's time to pray, but we do it because we believe that without God's intervention and help, we are hopelessly lost. I mean, even as followers, we need his wisdom in us, his spirit dwelling in us. And so we always go to him in prayer to ask him to inspire us, to instruct us today through his word. So pray with me, if you will. Father, today we give you thanks and praise for the work that you've done here at Family Bible Church, but then all over the world. I mean, we get to see what's here, and so we thank you for what we get to see, but we, we thank you for the things we don't see. We thank you for the hearts and minds that are challenged and changed that we never even experience or encounter. We know you're a God of abundance and a God of the whole universe, and therefore we give you praise and glory just as a right offering back to you for all of your goodness. We pray today, Father God, as we enter in your word, that you would help us to understand it more fully, that for every person here, every heart, every mind, every set of eyes, every set of ears, that they would be inspired by your Holy Spirit to understand truth. Maybe for the first time, or maybe more deeply than ever before, may that be true for all of us, that we would engage in a, in a real way with you today, and we would leave change because we met Jesus today. May you be glorified as we proclaim his message. May you help us to do it. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue this series. And I told you last week, and uh, I did not plan the week that I had coming into this, but I told you last week that this week would probably be the hardest week for me in this series because it's this kind of weird thing you can't really get your hands around necessarily or do. It's kind of something that's sort of out of our, our own ability to, to uh, make happen in some ways. Um, and yet we're going to pray for some awareness and some opportunities that we have to do it. We talked last week about the difference between being a, an invitational church and a welcoming church, and I mean to say that an invitational church is someone, is, an invitational person and a welcoming person, it, the difference would be someone that says like, verse, uh, hey, I'm here whenever you want to come to me, versus, hey, will you come with me, right? And, and we see in the Gospels repeatedly how Jesus himself, the simple call, no matter where you are in your life in Christ, the simple call is the same, it's follow me. Do you believe in me? Follow me. Do you not believe in me? Follow me. Come after me. Do you doubt me? Follow me. You understand? Jesus is not afraid of scrutiny or observation. He's open. He's completely transparent. And if you watch the way he lives in the Gospels, there's nothing he hides from those who follow him. It's, he get, they get the whole package. Everything that Jesus has to offer, um, he, he puts before them. And uh, so they have that invitation, as we do as well. But this week I want to talk about, instead of bringing some along, I want to talk about being included being included with others. This is something that we see Jesus model in his own life, and it might be kind of surprising that you would think that this is true. Um, Israel traditionally was a set-apart people, right? A people over there, a people who are different. You'll know many of the stories in the Bible that come about the holy people is because they're set aside. They're untouchable. They're clean. They're pure. They're holy. There, there's an amazing thing about the narrative of Christ's coming in that he is the perfect incarnation of God. 
If you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. You know, we've got this wrong in our culture. We think, well, God looks like whatever we want him to look like. But that's only true if you don't believe the Bible. If you believe what the Bible says, the Bible says that Jesus is the perfect incarnation of his Father, representing him in every way. That's what God looks like. And so when we begin to look at Jesus' own life and follow him, we're like, okay, so he's different. So you would expect that when Jesus would come, and this, by the way, is something I've struggled with since the day I started following Jesus. He comes and he's holy, he's perfect, he's blameless, he's righteous, he's glorious. And yet he's ignored and neglected by his people. He's, he's cast out, he's thrown aside, he's mocked and shamed and spit on, he's crucified on a cross. But before he gets to the cross, he does something that's revolutionary. And that he comes and he sits with sinners. No holy person would do it, let alone the Son of God. How is that possible that Jesus himself would come and sit with sinners? Well, the, the first uh, bit of scripture I want to share with you comes from the Gospel of Mark. I told you it's my favorite gospel. We're going to read it together. It's uh, Mark chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, I would encourage you to grab one of ours off the tables right near you, and you can flip the page open to page 700. Um, this is all written down here. I don't make this stuff up. It's what's recorded in Scripture. So I would encourage you to read it for yourself. Mark chapter 2, 13 through 17. This is, this, I, I alluded to this last week in the sermon about how this same model happens where Jesus says, follow me. We're going to hear it again today where he says, follow me, and then they followed him, right? Uh, starting in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Here's the word. Follow me, Jesus said to him. To him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and, quote, sinners were eating with him and his disciples because there were many who followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a thing, we can pass this over so many times as followers of Jesus and go, well, yeah, we get it. What's the big deal? What does it matter that Jesus was sitting with them and eating with them? A couple of things I want to point out. First of all, this simple dialogue again, it's the same invitation that we get today. Hey, follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. And, and, and we can choose to follow Jesus or not in our lives. And here we have the story of Levi, a tax collector. And I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of this, but I want to give you a little bit of an idea about the tax collector, you see, because, okay, so we think we don't like, you know, it's almost tax time. Anybody excited about taxes? Anyone? Yes, good for you too. The rest of you are not excited about taxes, right? I am not excited about taxes. Let me tell you a couple reasons why I'm not excited about taxes. Because first of all, it is ridiculously complicated to do taxes. I mean, it is insane to do taxes. Our government specializes in creating paperwork. There's paperwork for the paperwork. 
have you read the paperwork? Most of you have your taxes prepared, don't you? <laughs> do, do most of you? Because it's insane. It's insane. But then get this. There's the fear and dread that if you were to be called by the IRS, man, what, if you were audited, whoo, what would happen? You know, it, for a little guy, it's overwhelming to think about the United States government coming and looking. The good news apparently this year is that they're broke, so they can't afford anybody to audit you know, anybody, so you're probably okay. <laughs> Don't let that be a reason to cheat, by the way. Jesus said, pay unto Caesar what's Caesar's, man. Give them their fare, what they ask for, because they aren't in charge. That's what the gospel says. But this was different for them, because it wasn't just that it was like a tax. Here's the thing, right? The tax collectors were, were sent to collect for the um, oppressive government that wasn't their own. You see what I'm saying? Levi is a Jewish name of a man who would have said, he would have been a fellow Hebrew, and he was collecting taxes for the occupying regime, not the local government. It wasn't we the people. It was an oppressive regime coming in and kind of ruling over their area, ruling by authority. And, and he would have been seen, uh, Levi would have been seen not just as someone who, who is a tax collector and therefore to be, to be concerned about, right? Um, but he would be seen as a traitor, a turncoat, someone who does not have my best interest in heart. As a matter of fact, has hurt my family and all of God's people. Do you hear that? That would have been the idea for Levi, sitting at the tax collector's table, that, that he would have hurt the people of God by, make, by, by you know, serving uh, this foreign power. I'm trying to think of a modern equivalent, and I can't think of one. I guess I could say, if the United States were invaded, and then the foreign government had to collect money from us to pay to a foreign government, and then some of you said, I'll take that job, that was a tax collector. I'll pay the money to the foreign government. For my, and here's, by the way, they were kind of known also to put a few more pennies in their pocket on the way. So if you owed like five bucks, they would charge you 10, put five in their pockets, and five on to Rome, right? Uh, they are skimming off the top. We know this because later on, Jesus confronts the tax collector, and that man says, I will pay back four times all that I've stolen. So, so they're known to be thieves. Don't miss it. Matthew, Levi, he's sitting at the tax collector's booth when Jesus comes along, and Jesus says to that guy, hey, follow me. Now, look at what happens, and it's real subtle, but all of a sudden it says, in verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. So we go from this street scene where Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he's being followed, to all of a sudden saying to Levi, follow me. Levi gets up and follows Jesus. Next thing you know, cut scene, they're sitting in the house, eating food together, reclining at the table like best buds. They're all hanging out. They're having a great time. And many people are drawn in. I wonder, I wonder, how did Jesus get there? I mean, the Bible doesn't say. But how does he go from walking along? I always think of Jesus as being the guy in charge of everything. You know what I mean? He commands things. He moves. He does what he wants. He knows what's prepared. And yet, there's this moment where all of a sudden it says, uh, Jesus was there eating at Levi's house. See, when I read that, I think, well, at some point, then Levi had to say, hey, Jesus, you want to come to my place for a meal? Later on, you'll remember that there was someone that, um, that was surprised that Jesus would enter into us. You want to come to my place? You want to come to my house to eat? Jesus gets invited in. He's the kind of person who, who is invited by others. Um, 
while he was having dinner at Levi's house, look at what it says, many tax collectors, so Levi's friends and, quote, sinners, and the quote doesn't mean that they aren't sinners, they are sinners, but there's, they're making a point here in the text that we think we're sinners, we think we're not sinners when we are, you know what I mean? Like, it's about the judgment in that, those quotes. It's about looking down on others because they're sinners and we're not sinners. The Pharisees are going to, you know, like, kind of ratchet it up here because they're really offended by what's happening with this so-called teacher, Jesus, that he would dare be with those people. That's the issue. Don't make any mistake. They're not playing games. They're not being funny. They're really offended because God is a holy God, and a holy God would not be caught dead with those people. And here's Jesus at the table reclining and eating and having a meal together, having dinner at his house. By the way, I've used these two terms interchangeably this morning so far. Levi and Matthew. Levi and Matthew. It's the same person, right? Like Simon and Peter. So this is the same narrative. So Jesus is sitting there at Matthew's house or Levi's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Okay. Um, Before we get on to the objections, let me just say this. What does it say? It says, um, because there were many who followed him. There were many who followed Jesus. There's this reality, and I'm, gonna, I'm saying this morning it's confessional, because there's this reality that there's more to what Jesus does than what we do as believers in Jesus. There's more to who he is. And there's some part of us, I think, I feel it, it's righteous, it seems experientially to be true, that whenever we are actually following Jesus the way we ought to be following Jesus, that people who aren't like Jesus, who aren't like Christians, will draw near And we see that here. Many sinners were following Jesus. Many. And and, and he was invited into this home for a meal. So much was a scandal that the Pharisees caught wind of it and they couldn't believe what they saw. No righteous man, no man of God would be caught there. So they go and they ask the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Man, that's a good question we could ask today. Many of us want like the polished, cleaned up version of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Many of us want the controllable, fit in the box, be a nice guy Jesus. We want the Jesus that we can control and dictate where he goes or who invites him in or who he sets and eats with. But they ask a poignant question when they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? What in his model? What in his life? Why? Many times we deceive ourselves and we think, well, you know, Jesus would hang out with the good people. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus would hang out with the good people. He would hang out with the clean people. He'd hang out with the people who have the right answers about God, not the wrong answers about God. And yet here, in the Gospel of Mark, we have this narrative recorded No, he hung out with people who were far from God, who didn't have the right answers, who didn't belong, who didn't fit. I tell you what, man, I look look at the church, and I don't mean just family Bible church, but I mean the church as a whole, and I wonder who who isn't here because they think that they couldn't, they don't belong here. And what is it about what we're proclaiming about Jesus that says that there are people who don't belong here? Scripture clearly says that sinners are drawn to him. That those who feel far from God see the hope 
of the gospel. And so here we see the same idea that the people, people flocked in. He answers the question, by the way, so we don't have to guess, well, why, why does Jesus eat? Well, I don't know. Let's make up some reasons why. No, he says it. Jesus himself, on hearing the question, asked the disciples, Jesus answers this way, it is not the healthy need a doctor, but the sick need a doctor. I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. That's his answer in a nutshell. I have come to call sinners. These are my people. These are my redeemed. And there's a bit of an implicit thing there where they're saying, he's, Jesus is saying, and if, I think it's funny, you know, because the, the righteous in God judging the Son of God is kind of ridiculous. But in that moment, he says, if you're healthy, you have nothing to do with me. And only their self-conceit could have deluded them to believe they were healthy, the Pharisees. But man, us sinners, we know we're sick, you know? We know. <laughs> and you can feel that difference. Are you the kind of person that gets invited in? You know what I mean? Are you the kind of person that, that or are you the kind of person that's, that's, you know, so externally righteous that no one's going to ask you anything, let alone hang out with you? Um, this fake righteousness the Pharisees had it, man. They would not, you know, I wonder, I wonder if the tax collectors of Pharisees had, or tax collectors of sinners had ever invited the Pharisees into the home. I wonder. I don't know. Must have happened at some point. It's not recorded for us. All right. Second story I want to tell you from Jesus' life. So that's the first one. He invites this, this guy to follow him, and he ends up at the guy's house. The second one I love so, so much comes from the Gospel of John. And this is famous and one of my favorite passages. I read this uh, uh, not explicitly, but I, I, I refer to it almost every wedding I do because it's beautiful. This is what the word says. On the third day, this is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, by the way. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. While the wine... While the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Jesus says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, and each held from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, go fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. And so they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guest after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Right? I love this because every time uh, I officiate, this becomes part of the words that I normally use in a ceremony because Jesus shows up at a wedding. 
And not only does he show up at a wedding, but he goes to the reception afterwards. You know what I mean? How many, how many people are like wedding only and not reception people? Like sometimes that's church people, right? Like I'm not going to that reception. That's crazy. You know, let me tell you a quick story about, two quick stories about weddings. I think it's uh, striking. The first is that I was at a family wedding and I went to the reception much begrudgingly because my family is a bunch of drinkers. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying like, I'm like, you know, teetotaling none, but I'm saying they're, they're, they love to be drunk. They love to be drunk, you know? And so I'm like, oh, if I go to this thing, it's going to be crazy. And, uh, we went to it, and it was crazy. You know what I mean? It was crazy. And so I end up kind of, and this is new in my, in my walk with Christ, but I end up kind of in this corner, and I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I'm, I'm literally freaking out about being at this wedding where everyone's getting crazy. And I'm thinking, this isn't honoring God. What's going on? And my question that came was like, where's Jesus in this? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Where is Jesus in this? I'm not going to say, oh, he would be saying, oh, yeah, get loaded. But did you hear what the word said? Most people bring out the choice wine before everyone's drunk. But Jesus brought the choice wine after implied everyone's drunk. Now, he's not there to get people drunk. You know what I mean? But what's going on that Jesus is there? That's crazy to me. The other thing that's wild about it is... Um, it says at the very beginning there, but it says, Jesus and his disciples were invited also. His disciples were invited also with him. Isn't that interesting? So it wasn't, I mean, so it wasn't just a matter of um, Jesus happened to be going by or Jesus officiated the wedding. You know what I mean? Jesus had some purpose. Like he was the kind of person that someone said, hey, we're going to get married and it's going to be awesome and we're excited. And Jesus, would you come to my wedding? And Jesus is like, I got some time. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Like, Jesus came to your wedding. By the way, there will be some great photos afterwards. You know, this is when Jesus turned the water into wine at my reception. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, somebody had a really good wedding. Uh, but what, what is that? He's the kind of man that gets invited places. Will you come with? Will you, will you celebrate with us? This is awesome. And him and his disciples um, both get invited. I want to talk about something I struggle with. And uh, I'm going to put it out there. It's this hot issue right now, you know. But I had someone who is uh, homosexual invite me to their wedding. You talk about stimulating some deep thinking, some prayer, and some conversation. Difficult. Difficult, ain't it? Because there's part of me that says, Scripture says clearly, homosexuality is not God's plan for people. But the other side is to say that there's someone in my life that says, would you come? They didn't ask me to officiate, by the way, you know. But would you just show up and, and celebrate this with me? I don't know if you've had that experience in your life. Have you been invited somewhere where you're like, gosh, if I go there... What? That's going to be crazy. If I, go, if I go there, what does that say about me? What does that say about Jesus? And I, had, I wasn't the only Christian to be invited, by the way. And so a lot of us who are Christians who are invited had side conversations. What are you going to do? I don't know. What's the right thing to do? I don't know. How can we celebrate something that God says shouldn't be celebrated? How can we ignore people who are so far from God that they can't, they can't find their way? It was interesting. 
But Jesus here comes to the wedding. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything about what, because I, I don't have the answer to that, man. What would Jesus do in that situation? I know what Scripture says. But if he's invited, what would he do? Jesus is the kind of person that gets invited. His disciples get invited. Interestingly enough, by the way, interestingly enough, because Jesus accepts his invitation, I mean, not because, but you know, it's in there. It says, after the first miracle, his glory is revealed at this wedding. It sounds kind of reluctantly like it happens. And his disciples put their faith in him. After that, the disciples are like, this Jesus is for real. He's not like the Pharisees. He's not like the holy men. He's not like the other rabbis or teachers. This guy is real. He can do real things. He can make a real difference in people's lives. And it says they begin to put their faith in him, the disciples do. Have you ever been invited to something that you're uncomfortable with and you don't know how to respond? Or have you ever been invited to something you think, what will my friends think? What will, what will my, you know, my parents think? There's no easy answers, and I'm not here to give you any, but it's to say that Jesus himself modeled this kind of living that was controversial or that was on its surface. You know what I mean? It just, it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy. He was invited, he would go. Interesting. So I'm going to turn now from these two looks. I want to go back for one more look in a minute, but two looks from the gospel of Jesus. And I want to turn to some teaching from the Apostle Paul in Colossians. I think this is where we can um, get a bit of traction here on, on this. So Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul writes to the church and he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us also that God might open a door for our message so that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Some, some instructions from Paul about these opportunities we have to engage others. And I, I don't know how many times you catch it in here, but the first thing I want to point out to you from Paul's own instruction is this. Pray, 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 and pray. Right? Pray for opportunities. Pray um, that we can pro, pro, you know, proclaim the gospel faithfully. That's what he says, right? Look at it. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul says, pray for us that a door might be open to our message. If, you're, if you've been invited somewhere and you're concerned about what's going to happen, you're, you know, and first of all, can I just say this, by the way? Be thankful. If you're the kind of person who's getting invited, be thankful. Because for many people, we, we don't get invited anymore. We just don't. And I don't know what that says about the church. I said this is a hard week for me because I don't know what that says about the church whenever the church people don't get invited, but I see so many people that are hurting and lost about Jesus. And if we're not invited in, how do we ever go and share the gospel? How do we ever go in and share the good news? 
So you pray for that. You pray being watchful and thankful, thankful that you pray for the opportunities. Paul says, pray for us that we can open the door, that God would open the door for the message of Christ, that we can proclaim the mystery of who he is. Paul says that. Pray that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. And that might think like a preacher thing. Well, he's a preacher. No. Do you proclaim the gospel clearly in your life? You know? I mean, the gospel is for sinners, right? And so do you think when Jesus was sitting around the table with all those sinners and tax collectors, he was just like, hey, man, whatever is okay, <laughs> you know? Or do you think he was saying, there's a righteousness required of God that surpasses all the righteousness of the Pharisees? There's a righteousness required for us to be right with God that's going to surpass everything that you could ever possibly do. Do you think he was honest about the sin? Proclaiming the gospel clearly. No, you're all sinners. I mean, that's Jesus speaking, not me, because I'm going to say we're all sinners, you know? Jesus of you, you're all sinners. We're all sinners. The Pharisees at the door condemning him are sinners. Paul says, help us to proclaim it rightly. Man, we're all sinners. None better than the other, except for Christ, the good news, except that he would save us and deliver us. Paul says, pray that we can proclaim the gospel clearly. Yes, you need Jesus. Yes, he will change your life. Yes, everything is not okay. You know what I mean? It's all not okay. Um, but, we, but with Jesus... There's a way. That's the truth, right? Pray that we can proclaim it clearly as we should. And then look at this. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Now here it is, right? Making the most of every opportunity. That's, you know, what an awesome instruction. Sometimes we just want to ignore the opportunity or skirt it, you know. Oh, this is too hard. This is too whatever. Man, and I'm not saying as one who's done this well, but I'm saying there's opportunities to step up and speak truth. There's opportunities to step up and engage and not be passive. I talked about that really difficult situation that I was in. And it was a difficult situation, folks. I'm sorry, but it was so hard for me. And there were many of my brothers and sisters who said, I'm just going to ignore it. And I'm like, gosh, that sounds so not like what Jesus would do, <laughs> you know? If, if all the options on the table, he's not going to ignore it, whatever it is, you know? Engage instead. Making the most of every opportunity. God has given you a chance, an invitation to be in someone's life in an intimate way, do you dare to go there and preach the gospel rightly? Look at what the word says. Let your conversation, then when you're invited, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer every person. So always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Now I want to say two things about this idea, right? The first is that um, this idea of being full of grace but seasoned with salt means it kind of strikes me as like a little bit. You know what I mean? A few years ago, uh, Chris was making some cookies with a friend, and they made this huge batch of cookies, like hundreds of cookies, and when she went to take a bite of it, she almost gagged, right? And so what she thought would be funny was to bring this really nasty bunch of cookies home and give them to her family. <laughs> and she's like, and by the way, this is a tip for you. I love my wife. This is a tip. When they walk the door, like, because <laughs> she doesn't want me to eat sweets, you know? You should eat this. Have this cookie. Try this cookie. I made this cookie. And I'm like, I am not eating that cookie. I can tell you that right now, whatever it was, right? So she's like, darn it. All right, where are the kids? Kids, come here. Eat the cookie. And our kids took a bite, and they're like, oh! 
you know, cell growth, what is that? Oh, They had thought the sugar was sugar, but it was salt. And they put as much salt in the cookies as they would have put sugar. Now, if you don't know this, by the way, salt and sweet and salt go together, but a little bit of salt and some sweet. And, and that's what we, we like. But oh, it was, it was repulsive. It, oh, I can't even eat this. It's so gross. So then our friend said, can I have a couple of those to take to school? Because <laughs> that's funny, right? But how many times in our lives as Christians are we, are we like that? That we just go, I'm going to give you the whole salt container. You, you know, oh, I found a sinner. And it was like, you know, and it's like a slug. And they're like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't survive the truth. I mean, none of us can survive the truth without Jesus, right? But how did you first experience the grace of Christ? Was it this pouring out of his, you know, absolute righteousness and that you're complete? Yes, you're, you're a sinner, you're broken, you're flawed. But it was like this, like, grace with some salt. It's like, oh, that hurts. I got to change. It's full of grace with a little salt. That's how we engage. But something else about the salt, and then we'll move on. Something else about the salt is this. The salt idea here isn't just like a sprinkling, okay? But the idea of seasoning meant that it was seasoned. That, that your testimony was worn. That it was weathered, right? Seasoning. Think about a seasoning of a grill or a, a, a seasoned, I don't know, whatever, you know, um, an in a, in a expert of some sort, you know. A, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something here, but someone who's seasoned, they've been through some life right? The same idea here in the Bible, that be full of grace, but seasoned with salt. Have your own testimony tested against the Word of God. You know, come in there with your own understanding of the righteous requirements that God has, and yet the fulfillment that there, we have in Jesus Christ. Um, that, that's the way we should enter these situations. So why? So that we would know how to answer every person, because sometimes the answer is, guess what? You're a sinner, and you need to stop. And sometimes the answer is, you know what, there's a God who loves you and died to pay for your sins. Those are not different answers, by the way, but I'm saying there's a different way to respond. And when we do what Paul says here and we pray, 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 right, we have an opportunity then to answer as God would have us answer and not the way we just think we must always, always answer. Always uh, full of grace. I'll share another passage. Uh, this isn't on the notes this morning, but I want to flip it real quick. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to every person to win as many as I can. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those who not having the law, I became like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those who are not having the law. And to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all means possible I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in the gospel's blessings. And Paul says, I identify with people where they are. I'm not afraid to be weak with the weak. I'm not afraid to be a Jew with the Jews. I'm not afraid to be a Gentile with the Gentiles. And that might seem like manipulative, but Paul's like, I, I think this is what the teaching is here. We enter in. We enter in because of the confidence we have in Christ, because of the blessing of the gospel, we enter in. 
Why? So that Paul says, I might save some. That I might save some. I think about Jesus' own life and ministry, right? He came that he might save some. A gift to us. All right. So this week I have my three. Last week was my one, you know, invite one person to one thing. Last week that was you being invitational. But this is different this week because this is not something we can really control necessarily except we can like watch or observe it, look for opportunities. And so today I want to challenge you to write three areas that you have where you could be invited in. And, and I would say these are explicitly not church-related things, right? So three areas in your life where someone has invited you or someone might invite you or you might be able to go and be included. I think that God, and, and, and you know, maybe you think, well, gosh, I don't know if I have any three areas where I've been invited in that's not, you know, but are you, think about that. And, and if you, God presents those things to you, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go to follow Jesus there? So that's what it is. The challenge this week, three areas where God has given us access through invitation and opportunity to go and share truth. And again, for, for what it is, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, not going to go in there and like, okay, now I'm going to come through here and beat you all over the head. I'm just saying, are you going to enter in? And like Paul says, with the weak be weak. Are you going to enter in to those areas? I'm going to invite you to write those down. I'm going um, to pray, and then I'm going to finish with a, uh, one more view of Jesus' life. But I want to pray first. So I'm going to pray that God would show us those areas, okay, of our lives that we can enter in with others. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, today we've come here not because of, of what we planned or what we wanted, but because of what you have for us. And today, Father God, I just pray for my friends here um, who maybe think that there are those who are too far from the gospel to know you, that you would work in their hearts to convince them that, that, that they're the people you love, uh, that we are the people you love. And, and Father, would you forgive us as a church when we act like we're better than everyone else, man? That, I'm so sorry, Father, for us uh, just um, doing that in your name. Would you help us to rightly see ourselves and others around us uh, as sinners in need of redemption? And then, Father, uh, as we consider about, as Christians, for those of us here who believe the gospel, who, who, who believe Jesus died for our sins and who want to follow Jesus all of our lives, Father, w- would you show us some areas in our life that we could enter in with others who don't yet know you? And maybe it is a friend who invited someone to something, or, or maybe it's an opportunity at work or, or at school. Is there some area where we can go in, but we don't want to go in without you, Jesus. We don't want to leave you at the door, but we want to go in with you and say, Jesus, what are you doing here? What's your good news here in this area? And Father, only your Holy Spirit can reveal this stuff to us. Only your Holy Spirit can lead us into these places, these, these pastures uh, where you can do work. And so we pray today, Father, that you would show them to us. For those who are believing, that you would show them to us and that we would be willing to go with you and see the gospel uh, and all of its blessings being trans- uh, transforming others there. So help us do that work, Father, we ask, um, and be glorified as we continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.